0: podcast. I hope that you are doing well and uh, we are here live for another episode um, of Love Well. Hopefully yesterday's conversation with, uh, with my brother was good. For those of you listening on audio, this is going to be out of order, but that's all right. Uh, you can catch this on, you can catch my brother's conversation uh, on Friday. But uh, this this week, beyond Sunday school, right? Uh, trying to look at the passages of scripture um, as adults. How do we how do we move past Sunday school felt bored, uh, kind of ways of looking at the Bible and um, go a bit deeper and and kind of wrestle through some of these different passages as adults. Um, so you can kind of I guess you can kind of think of this as uh you know Sunday on a Monday uh, but today's Wednesday <laughs> so uh you know full full weekend oh baseball uh, so Monday was tough and uh tired so we didn't you know didn't didn't hit up the uh, uh the podcast on Monday. Tuesday, I had a great conversation with my brother Jay about policing. Uh, in the city of Baltimore and uh, so here we are Wednesday and we are gonna we are gonna dive in Uh, so I want to encourage you to do a couple things Uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you want to continue this conversation Uh, you can also subscribe to love well very easily at danielmrose.com and then anything I write record uh, will go right into your inbox so you won't miss anything and uh, and hopefully hopefully you will find that helpful. Uh, the archive of this message is easily found at youtube.com slash danielrose. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Uh, also, uh, Sundays we uh, have missional communities that we are hosting. Uh, we're getting back to normal here in a couple of weeks on uh, August 2nd. Uh, Sunday, August 2nd, we get back to our normal schedule of missional communities. You'll be able to find out all those details uh, right there at x13.net slash events. And so I'd encourage you to go there, check it out. Uh, right now, we are doing summer cookouts. Uh, we're hanging out uh, and uh, and spending time together, uh, just being in community with one another uh, intentionally. So hope that you will check out those details as well. Um, so, uh, where are we at? Well, we are at Genesis chapter two. Last week, uh, we spent some time looking at Genesis chapter one, kind of wrestling through, you know, what, what do we do? What do we do with this, uh, the story of creation, right? And, uh, and how do we, how do we handle that? I encourage you to go back and, and take a listen, uh, and, and I think what you will find is that, um, you know, this, and I'm going to reiterate it again, uh, the Bible is not really intended to answer some of the questions uh, that that those of us in the modern age are asking of it, right? This is not a science textbook. I heard a, a great thing today um, as I was out working on my lawn. Uh, I was listening to podcasts, and I was listening to a guy named Mike McHarg, and uh, and he said something I just thought was really helpful, and maybe this will help you. Uh, science is not a worldview. Science is a way of describing how the world works. So we observe the world, and we try to describe how it works. So, um, you know, and it's a method. Science is a method by which to do that. And so, as you're spending time reading the Bible, uh, you got to understand. This is not a science textbook, and definitely not a science textbook in the way that uh, that we, as people living in the year 2020, think of science. Um, those kinds of rigorous measures and things, they, they they just weren't part of life back then. I mean, you're talking about a people who were worried about you know, where their, where their next meal was going to come from, not because they couldn't pay for it, because they literally needed to go out and find it. Right, they needed to gather food. They needed to hunt for food. Uh, it's it's a different we're talking about a different kind of of living. Uh, so uh, hey, let me let me pray momentarily, and then uh, let's let's take a look, and we'll see see how far we get. I'm prom I'm only promising Genesis two today. We might get into Genesis three. We'll just wait and see uh, how how the how our time goes. All right. Um, So, uh, so yeah, let me pray. God, thanks for today. Pray that you would bless our time and uh, that we might learn, uh, might, might get to know you better and not just learn more stuff. So, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, you know, uh, last week, like I said, we looked at, looked at Genesis 1 and, um, and here we, we come to Genesis chapter 2. Now, again, I want to I want. I don't want us to forget um, where this is placed, right? Uh, most, you know, a lot of a lot of conservative scholars uh, think that uh, the first five books of the Bible, uh, known as the Pentateuch, uh, were written by Moses. Uh, the further you get, uh, kind of down the down the scale of uh, conservative to to progressive. Uh, you have different different ideas of the timing. Nobody puts the first five books earlier than Moses, okay? Um, now, some would argue that, uh, you know, some would argue that, uh, that the first five books were written by a number of different people, uh, especially as they look at Genesis, and they're like, hey, there are at least, you know, four different sources and all kinds of things. And you can... If you want to know more about that, I can point you to some great resources. Encourage you to check, check out that uh, it's the, it's a documentary uh, hypothesis, uh, and they and they look at, and they look at this a little bit differently because they're, what they're trying to figure out, is an important question, and the question is why do we have Genesis one and Genesis two, right? Um, in particular, why do we have one way of describing creation in Genesis chapter one, and a different way of describing creation in Genesis chapter two? What's what's happening here? Why why do we have these two different stories? In two different stories that uh, have seeming you know seeming contradictions. Uh, the order is a little bit different, and all these kinds of things. A lot of folks want to. Want to tear into the specifics uh, as though uh, you know, as, as though these these specific things are somehow going to, um, you know, have some sort of um, gotcha moment for the Bible. Now, uh, let's remember where it's placed. Let's assume. Let's just assume. The Moses uh, Moses's authorship. All right, I I think I'm most comfortable there, and so uh, I I can make an argument for it, um, and uh, and I can also see the arguments the other way. Uh, But either way, what we have is we have a text that is being written um, to a people who have just come out from underneath the thumb of an empire. Right, they've been slaves, they've been oppressed. They've been abused, and they have just plundered Egypt. They are now wandering in a wilderness. They are trying to create and build a new culture, a new society, and and they're trying to get to this place called the Promised Land. And I think, and I think that's really what Genesis one is kind of about. You know, it's, it's kind of placing them. It's helping them understand that there is a place for them in this world. They started, humanity started in the Garden of Eden. It started uh, in a well-watered place, right? A, a lot of uh, folks would say that's, that's how Eden uh, can be uh, translated from, from the Hebrew. It is a well-watered place. They come from this well-watered place. They come from this place that is beautiful and wonderful, and this was God's intention for them. This is where things were very good, right? This, this is, this is the this is the place. So so Genesis 1 places them underneath the Creator God, who is good, who is promises, who promises good things, who's made all things good. And so what Moses is saying is here, hey, there's you came from a place we're going to a place we can trust that we're going to get to this new place this new promised land because the creator god is good and he has made all things good we can trust him we can trust that that god is going to get us there um, and we see the refrain over and over in genesis chapter 1 and it was good and it was good and it was good we see the creation of man in god's image right so so what do we what do we learn from that we learn that um, mankind, that's that's been created, both male and female, he created them. Uh, they they are created in his image. So humanity has the capacity to create, has the capacity to make, has the capacity uh, to do this thing that they have been called to do, which is to create a new society, a new people, uh, to go to this promised land. And yet they wander. They wander why why are they wandering why you know you look at a you look at a map and um you know from for them to get from egypt to what is the promised land is you know just a couple of weeks march just a couple of weeks walk but yeah they wander they 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 wander for 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 40 years how did they get there how do they get to this place well, that's what Genesis two and three begins to tell the story of. It begins to tell the story, the account, the generations of the heavens and the earth. Uh, it says here in, in chap- Genesis chapter two, verse four, "This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens." So you have this, you know, you kind of have this sense of, "Hey, here's here's the account. Here's the story of the generations. Here is here is what's what's happening." We get this repeated phrase um, throughout this idea of the account uh, in Genesis chapter five. This is the account of Adam's family line in Genesis chapter six. This is the account of Noah and his family it's these It's these different snapshots, these different chapters in the story of the people of God and the story of the people of israel and and so so here we are we're at the very beginning, and we've kind of got this idea here of of, of a place in Genesis chapter one. And now we shift from, we shift from poetry to narrative, to storytelling, right? This is Moses is beginning to tell the story. And so, you know, I, I I think, I think as we wrestle through, how do we, how do we handle the perceived Um, contradictions here between Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two and the ordering of events and that kind of thing. Um, I think the way we can, I think to me, as I I just read through this, this sounds like, this feels like a story being told. Sitting around a campfire, an oral tradition, you know, uh, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, no plant. And it kind of just begins to tell the story and and so yeah does it is the order a little bit different? It is there, there's just there's no way to get around that. Um, do I think it really matters? No because you know what you tell stories long enough um, the details get a little bit get a little bit mixed up um, but but what we're trying but I think the deeper question here the deeper thing that we see here, is is it's like we it's like Genesis chapter one is kind of this um, wide shot of creation, and Genesis chapter two now kind of does this and brings us into specific, clear focus on this one dude, Adam. Ish, right? This this one this one guy, um, this this Adam guy, and. And we're kind of looking at his story uh, through a microscope. Like we've, we've gone from the big blue planet, kind of the, the satellite, you know, from the, from the space station kind of look at the earth. And now we are just dead focused on, on Adam, on this one guy. And we get all kinds of extra details here in Genesis chapter 2 that you don't get in Genesis chapter 1, right? We get some, we get some similarities, but, but the details are, are totally, totally different here. Um, and so, you know, even to the point of getting the, the details of, of the garden, um, and we get this whole thing about uh, tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil in all these things. Um, so it says in verse 7, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Um, so, uh, you know, the Hebrew, Hebrew word for man is, is Adam. Uh, the Hebrew word for ground is Adamah. So you have this, you have this play on words here that we lose um in in English. Maybe a a better way of doing this uh to kind of try to hold tight to, to what's happening here would be uh earthling and earth, right? Um so God created the earthling from the earth. It's kind of kind of the way that Moses is telling the story. And and so it's this. Um, you have this kind of generalized sense of this of the story, uh, this this man Adam. And, and so, what what we begin to see here is if Genesis chapter one is kind of the where, Genesis chapter two is kind of the who. Who are we? Who who are we? Well, we are humanity, uh, are, are people that have. A relationship with the divine. They're in communication with God, right? Uh, verse 15 says in chapter 2, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Well, that's cheery. Um, and we'll, we'll come back to that. that. That's a foreshadowing of something uh, that's. That's coming later. Uh, and then in verse 18, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found now what's significant about this story about this little moment in the story is this we are beginning to see the image of God being played out through Adam he is creative you know I mean most of us you know I mean good night my son named his stuffed puppy puppy my daughter named her little piece of pajama shirt that she carried around with her jammy. Um we're not we're not always the most creative folks. And yet the story says, the story is reflecting our creativity. That the story here is, is pointing us to what does it look like for us uh back in Genesis chapter one uh to be those uh, that fill the earth and subdue it; that rule over the fish of the seas and the birds in the sky, and over every. Lo- what does it look like for us to do those things? Well, this, this is this is an image of that. This is this is a picture of of humanity caring for and cultivating uh, the the world, the created order. Right. Uh, this is this is unbelievably a creative effort on the part of, of humankind. They see, they notice, they say, okay, this, this is a cow, this is a dog, this is a goat, right? I mean, these are, these are amazing. This is an amazing picture of human creativity. It is reflecting back to the people of Israel That you are created in the image of God. Therefore, you are wildly creative. We have the ability to create this new thing. We have the ability to overcome the problems and the issues that we're facing. And we can create. We can make something new out of nothing. Just look at where we came from. Adam had all of creation to name. And he did it. He did it. So certainly, certainly, we as a people can come together and create a new society, a new culture, a new new entity, right? This, This story is this reflection of humanity being created in the image of God. And it's beginning to show how we work that out through creativity. So you know, God, God says, Hey, there's no suitable helper here because what is, what is the issue? What is the issue? The issue is, uh, in verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone, right? Now this is a more, I think, I think this is a broader concept than we, than we often have made it. Um, and again, this ties back into this idea of the people of God moving from Egypt to the promised land. It is not good for the man to be alone. We are not, it's not good for us to be alone. And it's not good for us to be isolated. We need one another. We need community. We need culture. We need society. We need, we, we need to be in relationship with other people right and so you know you have you have i think here moses trying to explain the absolute necessity of community over individual the collective over the individual he's trying to lay this out and he's trying to show how important the collective is by and large over the individual because what he's asking these people to do requires, requires a collective effort. It requires the whole community to get on board. It requires the whole, the whole people of God, all of the Israelites from Egypt to row in the same direction. They are going to have to put one another above their individual self. And so he's taking it back to the very beginning. He's laying this foundation. It is not good for man to be alone. Who are we? We are creative people. We are people made in the image of God, and we show it through our creativity. We show it through how we are able to make things out of nothing. And we are a social people. We are a people that need one another. It is not, it is not good for man to be alone. And so, you know, we have this, this really weird story, um, starting in verse 21. the so Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So, uh, what do we have? What do we have going on here? How does this? How does this play out? So, it's not good for man to be alone. We now have this whole Adam, uh, Adam and Eve, thing, right? Um, this this Adam and woman this. Ish and Isha, right? The the man and the woman, um, and and so what Moses here is is again trying to do is he's trying to lay these important foundations for for the new society, right? We're not going to look like the other nations. There is a new way of doing things. A man and a woman, we're going to create this new family, all right? This this he's going to leave his father and mother and unite to his wife. They're going to become one flesh. He's he's trying to explain how we're going to begin, you know, how they're going to begin to do things very differently from the neighboring um from the from the neighboring nations that they're coming into contact with. Now they're going to fail miserably as we are going to read through. You know as you look through the rest of the story, um, you don't see this you know man leaving his father and mother and uniting with his wife uh, and kind of having this you know this monogamous kind of thing going on. You don't see that uh, very clearly throughout the rest of of the Old Testament. Uh, you have You have a big, big mess of stuff, um, But the idea here. Is that they would be united with one another. That humanity, male and female. God created mankind in his image, male and female. And that they would be united. That they would be united together, right? Um, you have this this clear, this clear conception in the story. That man and woman, are they're of one. There, there's a oneness here. Right. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. There is this there is this unity between male and female, man and woman. Um, And and there is this care and concern that they would have for one another. And so and when and when they lived like that. Right. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame they were they were living the life they were living together in such honest authenticity that there was no shame between them there was no shame before them and god because they were living in harmony they were living in unity they were living in a ideal community it was good you see genesis 2 is this beautiful picture of telling us who we are who we are at our core is we are a people who are creative we are a people that need one another we are a people that 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 are not designed to live in shame and guilt we're a people that are designed to to live without shame, without guilt. Now, the story in Exodus is a whole bunch of people feeling real guilty about a lot of things. The story later on throughout Genesis is a lot of guilt and shame, and it gets ushered in real quick here, real quick in the very next chapter, right? Um, But we have to keep going back and asking the question, why was this written? What was going on? When? Right? And when we start asking those questions, you begin to see how these things begin to make sense, how these things begin to, to help you understand what is going on here beyond Sunday school, beyond the veggie tale story, beyond the felt bored deal. We begin to see how Genesis chapter 2 begins to shape our understanding of humanity and how we're supposed to be living. In the ideal construction of of humanity, and that is to be creative, that is to be connected with one another socially, and and that is to to be living with one another in a u- way that is united, so that we are not experiencing guilt and shame. Now, uh, there was a question that got that got popped last week uh after genesis chapter 1 uh in in the question was about the uh this idea of of a of a being a character an idea uh, uh called lilith uh and, and if you're wondering about that uh this this was an idea that was really developed uh was developed kind of through the ages uh through a lot of um jewish midrash uh, you know, this is, that's the process by which, uh, it's kind of the Jewish commentary, right? You get around, uh, pastors or people who are trying to study the Bible and they might, they might talk about, oh, this commentary I read, which is, you know, basically you have a biblical scholar who sits down and studies the text and then writes their understanding, their interpretation of a particular text. And we call it, and they sell it for 70, 80 bucks a pop. And we call that a commentary. Now, um throughout the ages, uh the Jewish teachers did the same thing. a lot of it was oral uh, then it became written, but as this this midrash this they would sit they would discuss they would try to d- interpret and understand what is going on and they these guys uh these men and women these rabbis have been have been doing this a lot longer than Christians, uh especially over the Old Testament texts right because um, this this has been their text since Moses and so they kind of asked the question, well, hey. Uh, how do we handle Genesis one and Genesis two? Because it sure seems different. There's some different things there, and in what they one of the ways that that a group of them have decided to try to um, to, to, to kind of handle is they've said, well, Adam had two wives, right? You had uh, the wife from Genesis 1.27. God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them, uh, and, and so uh the argument there is that uh adam had had a wife uh but she but she must have died and uh and so then you have the second wife eve uh who uh who came out of uh, you know who's fashioned from from adam's rib and you know me personally as i've walked through that as i've tried to wrestle through that um, I, I understand the desire to try to harmonize it. And I think that's where this idea comes from. Um, but I think, I think really uh, what we see here is just, we, we see a narrative, we see a story trying to answer the question of who. Who are we? What is our identity? Um, where do we come from? I think that's what we see here in Genesis chapter two, and we get to this uh, kind of microscopic uh, picture of what took place inside the context of Genesis chapter one verse twenty-seven. That that's kind of kind of what I think is happening here. Um, now, you know, uh, a lot of traditions uh, hold, you know. Hold hold to that differently, and that's and that's okay. You know, you 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 have the responsibility as an adult to go out and study and try to understand. Um, and if you think the arguments uh, for the existence of of Lilith um, are good, then that's that's fine. Um, I disagree with you. I don't I don't I, I think I think that's an effort uh, to harmonize. I don't think the text necessarily points us in that direction uh, my my clearer understanding and my understanding of this is is that we have genesis 1, 27, and then we kind of get Genesis chapter two, which is the the zoomed in picture of of what's happening within the context of Genesis chapter one verse twenty seven so you know that's that's how to answer that's how to answer that um so uh you know what uh next week next week we'll get into genesis chapter three um but as we walk away from this i i think i think the thing that i want that I would love for you to wrestle with or for- for you to think about is what is you know what what, is, what are some of the root causes of 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 shame in your life um and try to trace them back, and as, as I've done this in my own life, as I've kind of done my own work on issues of shame, uh, oftentimes, almost exclusively, what I have found is that they are rooted in broken relationships. They are rooted in, um, yeah, they're they're rooted in broken relationships. They're they're rooted in me uh, pulling back, isolating uh, from from people. Either because they have hurt me, um, or because I just don't like what they have to say. I, I don't. I don't want to hear the truth of what they're communicating to me. Um, and you know what? One of the, you know just one of those areas for me has has been my struggle with uh, with my weight. Right? Um, you know that that's an area that I have had to work very hard at dealing with this shame thing. And when I've had people who have said, particularly doctors, um, said, Dan, you you need to get this figured out. You need to to change some lifestyle here, bub. Um, You know, I isolate from them. I pull back. I hide. And I experience shame as a result of that. They're not seeking to shame me. They're seeking to help me. Um, and so often, so often, uh, the areas of shame that, that we experience uh, come from those moments. And as we understand Genesis chapter 2 more, more deeply, uh, beyond just the felt board, beyond the veggie tale, beyond the Sunday school uh, images, what we begin to see is that uh, when, we can, when we can move past isolating away from other people, that allows us uh, to move out of shame and guilt and back into the kind of human unity uh, that, that God wants to see happen. That this, this is what we are designed for. Uh, so hopefully that's helpful. Uh, hopefully that makes you think. And uh, as always, uh, we can continue the conversation on Twitter. Hit me up at DanielMRose. Um, So I would love, love to continue the conversation with you there. Uh, you can also subscribe to the Love Well podcast uh, very easily at danielmrose.com or wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. Search, hit subscribe, and uh, and maybe profit. I don't know. Uh, you can always find the archive of this message at youtube.com slash danielmrose if you're more of a video guy. Head there. The audio of today's podcast will be available soon. Um, So, yeah. Until next week. Love well, my friends.